Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for being such a great God who listens to us every time we come to you with our concerns and desires and that you have a spread, as the psalmist says, you have spread out a wide ear for us to hear, for you to hear us in our needs and our understandings. We pray especially for our country, God. You know the turmoil that's going on within it, but we also know the challenges that are being put before us and the many things that were um, given to us and by our early fathers are now being challenged and that many things are, are being changed in our world. And Father, we just pray that we can be lights in the darkness, that we can walk in the boldness of our faith and that we can love people in the difficult times that we're going through right now. We pray, Father God, too, we want to thank you for all those who put their lives on the line this past week as we had the memorial service for our law enforcement down in the city hall, uh, for those men and women who uh, gave their lives and for the families that lost their loved ones because of their wanting to bring peace and out of the chaos in our world and on our streets here in Wichita and Sedgwick County. We pray for those who grieve their family members who are saddened still to this day after years of losing their loved ones in such tragedy. We pray also too, Father God, for our family, for some in our family that are struggling with sickness and illness. I want to think of Lucille and I think of Kay and I think of Betty and Joyce and Mary who are all struggling right now with health issues, Lord. I just pray that you bring healing to their bodies 
Be those who grieve too. I think of the Brown family and I think of the Wonka family who lost loved ones, Lord. And I pray also too, Father God, for those that we know that are addicted, for Ryan, for Jordan, for uh, uh, Eric, and for Ricky, that, Lord, they can gain victory through the cross of Jesus Christ. I pray also, too, for Ali's father, uh, who found out that he has cancer. I pray also, too, for the Skillings family, as we will bury Brian's dad this week and be with him and the rest of his family as they grieve. I pray also, too, for a friend of Bill's by the name of Judy, who is right now battling lung cancer. And also, too, for Kay's um, sister as um, their family as they lost her this week in death. Just bring comfort and strength to them, Lord Jesus. And Lord, if there's anybody else who has a need, Lord, as we lift them up by name, Lord, we know you know exactly what's going on in their lives. And we ask you, Lord, to bring healing and hope for marriages that are struggling for marriages that are going through adjustments and for many other things that are going on in our world, that, Lord, did you give them your grace. Now, Father, we just pray as we come before your word that you'll speak to us and that you'll teach us what we need to know for this week and that we can use it for your glory, Father. Thank you for being present here today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. There have been a lot of times that we've heard love. I remember growing up in the 60s and 70s and the music that was often played. And to hear that music, you know, um, for instance, love, love, love. And we've heard the Beatles and all the kinds of stuff they talked about love. We talked about Tina Turner. I can remember her saying, what's love got to do with it? She asked a question that some of the people in that day and age didn't even know what love was. And we also remember the, the love story, the, the movie that was going on. And we also think about it today and all the songs that are written about love throughout generations. We think of the love between Adam and Eve way back in the beginning and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all their wives and what they went through. Well, today the Apostle John is speaking to us about the agape love. We've been going through John because John has spoken about many things in his day and age. If we remember they were battling in the church Gnosticism. Gnosticism says that anything that's done in the body is evil and the material world is evil and that everybody who has a spirit and is in their heart, they're good. And we know that dualism is from Plato, and that's wrong. And John was battling that because that was creeping into the church. And John said that because the Gnostics were believing that the body that Jesus came into was not really a being, but it was a phantom, that he only was an aberration of what that, and that God could not come into the flesh. But John says, no, that's not true, that God does come into flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. We have touched him, we have felt him, we have seen him. And continues in chapter 1 and says, And if you say that you're not sinning, even though you may be doing it in the body, but it doesn't have any effect, he says, you're wrong. He says, if you say that you don't sin, you're calling God a liar and you're making yourself a liar too. And then in chapter 2, and he says, if you do sin, you have an advocate for you, Jesus Christ, who will forgive your sins. 
And so they not only played with the incarnation, but they played with the sinner's head. And there also, too, he played, they played with the Christians who were in church, and they're saying, how do you know that you're saved? And John uses 40 times the word no out of the 100 verses that the book is written in, and he uses that so that everybody knows. In his final chapter, he says, this is why I wrote the book. These things have been written that you will know that you're saved. These things have been written that you know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he saved you from your sins. But then he said, how do you know? And John says to us, and of course, in chapter 2, he says, you know by three things. He says, number one, by what you're doing morally. If you're following and obeying Christ and following his commandments, that's number one test you can do. Number two is your social love. And that is, do you love your brothers? That's the second test. And the third thing he says is that if you truly follow my ways and you listen to the word of God, and that's a true test of you're saved. But then he turns again. And he talks about remaining in Christ. In chapter 2, he kind of ends so beautifully where he talks about abiding in Christ and that your righteousness shows the way you live your life. And it's tragic. You know, a lot of people sometimes say, well, with the Reformation, we don't have to worry about our works. That's not true. We believe, yes, that we are saved by grace alone, by trusting in the mercy of Jesus Christ. That is a definite but the Protestants don't throw out good works. But they say, here's the thing. You cannot be saved by your good works. But the litmus test of whether or not you truly are saved in your heart is how you live your life. And if you're not following the commandments of God, which doesn't save you, but it shows that you are saved then you truly must be doing what's right. I was reading the article at USA Today about Sophia Loren. She says she reads the Bible, she prays, but she's not a practicer of it. And she believes she's a good person. Tragically, she's lost. Because what she doesn't understand is you can't be saved by reading the Bible, and you can't be saved by praying. You have to be saved in your heart that Christ has watched your sin away and given you eternal life. And this is what John wants to get to. And then he speaks to us about something that's very important. And he says, this is how you're motivated. It's by the love of Jesus Christ, by the love of God your Father. And so John tells us, here's your motivation if you truly love Jesus Christ, you'll understand what the Father's love was for you, and that should motivate you to do good works. And so here we are. He says, you've got a new identity. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it does not know him. John is wanting to us to hear. He's giving us this bold call. Whenever we hear the word behold, that's a word of calling for everybody to pay attention. This is very important. This is manner of love that God has for his children. It's not something that we take for granted. It's an incredible love, John says. He says that this love is not like anything the other world has taken. It's an agape love. It's a God love that is beyond this generation and beyond the world and only can be seen in what God has done for us. And it's a love 
that we've done nothing for, but it's totally by God's own desire in his heart. It's come out of his heart of love. And he's bestowed it. He's given it to us. I was reading about Aaron Judge the other day, for New York Yankees outfielder and slugger for them. And he was talking about how when he was born, the day he was born, he was given to and adopted by his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Judge. They were both teachers. His mother gave him up for adoption. And in that interview, it was interesting how he was so grateful for what they did. And he did nothing. He just laid there as little swaddling clothes, and they wanted him. And he said, and this is what God is saying through John, that God, through his infinite love, before the foundation of the world, he gave us this incredible love that we don't deserve. And he bestows it on us and gives it to us so that we can have eternal life. And the benefits that we receive from him. He says it's an unbelievable love. It's a love that's beyond our understanding. It's beyond what we can do. Because it's a love that not only bestows it upon us, but gives his own son of essence for us to die on the cross for us. So that we could be adopted into the family. That we can be called children of God. Just like Jesus Christ was. And what we see here, you know, it's amazing. We're always astounded when people give their life for their friend or give their life for somebody else. This past Friday, we had the memorial for the police officers in, in, in uh, Wichita. And we have had 23 police officers who've been killed in the line of duty. And we've had nine sheriff's officers that have been killed in the line of duty in this community. These guys put their lives on the line to bring total strangers who get a call from 911 and they go to the house and sometimes they don't make it out or go to the call. And, and what a wonderful thing the Bible says and Jesus even says, no greater love has anyone than they lay down their life for his friend because Jesus knew he was going to do that for us. And here God in this infinite love takes his son who is in heaven with him, in the glories with no pain, no suffering, comes down to earth, puts on the body of man, and lives with us, and experiences all the things we go through, the temptation, and still is perfect. And of the essence of the Father, he never had to do that, but God in his infinite love did that for us. And, and, and that love is so powerful. It's unbelievable. And then we, we read the Welsh revival, a commentator wrote on Psalm 103, he says, it's frightening to think that this holy God would take his own son and put him in this earth for us, his precious son, his perfect son, his beautiful son, for us who are sinners, so that he could redeem us back into the glory we were meant to be. And John says this so beautifully in this passage. Behold what manner of love. It's a love that is beyond. The manner of love is so far beyond. And it's bestowed on us. It's given to us. It's not something we've earned or deserve. And that we should be called. Not only be called, but he's making it in the Greek there. It says that we are possessors of the child of God. 
And that because God's adopted us into his family through the grace of Christ, we now are sons and daughters in reality on this earth here. Not when eternity comes, but now we're called the children of God. And the Bible here is telling us it's an unbelievable thing that we've experienced. And how beautiful it is. It goes beyond the ages. And it's so profound that he bestowed it onto us. And how difficult that is. You know, and, and this love is powerful. It's an agape love. It's not this world-like love. And, John, and, and Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians. Do you remember what he said about this love? He said, you can have all the ability to speak prophecies and tell the future. Or you can have tongues. It is like a sounding gong and a clinging cymbal if you're without love. You see, in that day in the first century when the pagans went to their temples, they would hit the bell. They would clang the gong and would call to wake up the gods so that they were coming in to pray to. And Paul says it's like hitting that gong. You're trying to call people uh, uh, gods that are dead. They're wood. They're metal. It's ridiculous. And if you think you have this gift of tongues and it's so great and you don't have love, it's like hitting that gong. You're not waking anybody up. And then he goes on to say, and if you have the ability to look into the future and give prophecies... And you can make all kinds of wisdom and make all kinds of medication. And yet, without love, it's nothing. He says, love is the standard. Because this is what God showed to us and bestowed on us. And that this knowledge that you think you have, it'll puff you up. Without love, it will puff you up. And even if we have all kinds of faith... To trust God to do whatever we are called to do. But again, he says, if you don't have love, it is nothing. You think about the Pharisees and the Samaritan on the road and who came along. And here was a Jewish guy who got beat up by robbers. And there was faith in the rabbis that went by. And yet they didn't stop to help their own fellow countrymen. And Jesus' story here is, and yet here comes the Samaritan who has the love in his heart and the compassion that reaches out to him. See, without love, we're nothing. Even if you have all kinds of faith or claim to have it, you don't have faith if you don't have love. You don't have love if you don't have faith. This is what John is telling us. He says, but this great love that we have of God should amaze us. It should instruct us on how we are to live. It should be, make us different, totally different. Because you see, his love changes all that. And it's so easy for us sometimes to forget that. Alexander McLaren was an expositor of scriptures. And he says, it's kind of like in those days, they didn't have texting. They didn't have all these other things that we can keep in contact with old friends. He said, you had to write a letter. You had to remember your friends and what they were like. And he says, one of the things for us as Christians, we become complacent about this love of God. And yet it's the very foundation of our hearts in God. 
that we realize how much he loved us, it causes us to want to love others. It causes us to feel secure and peaceful because we know we're saved and God loves us and we should be content. And this McLaren fellow says, so we need to be mindful of it every day. That we need to require effort for us to think about the things that God has done for us. And recall this because this helps us in life every day that we are loved. And there's nothing too great for us not to be able to overcome because we're loved. I've seen ministers. I had 10 in my graduating class out of seminary in the first five years of ministry leave the ministry. After three years of getting their master's degree, and it was because they lost the love. They could no longer handle it. And they were broken inside because it was easy to get their eyes on those things that were causing problems and not remember that God's love will bring them through. And it always requires effort to remind ourselves of God's love and that relationship with others. It should help us. You know, I'm going to be marrying a couple this weekend. And one of the things I often do when I'm marrying those couples is to remind them the true love of God. And you know, when we read, you know, you go to the, the wedding and they've got the beautiful 1 Corinthians 13 printed out on their flyer. And it is so beautiful. And it almost some people think, oh, it's so, they get sentimental, they get mushy about it. But really, in, in verses 4 through 7, Paul gets really serious about love and saying, this is not just fluff. This is tough. This is serious stuff. Because when you use the word love, and Paul does, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. We see the picture of Jesus there. Because Jesus was patient. He was kind. He didn't get jealous. He didn't brag. But then the real practical part of that is put your name in there, I tell the couple. And in your marriage, remind yourself that Dave is patient. Dave is kind. Dave doesn't get jealous. Dave doesn't brag. He's not arrogant. He doesn't act unbecomingly. And when we put ourselves into that word, that's when the real challenge comes to our heart. To be as Christ was and is. And to live that fully. To ch I've seen relationships change when they put their name in that word and start living that out. Because that's truly when we absorbing God's true love in our hearts and place ourselves in there. You see, Jesus here, John says to us, we are children of God. And our DNA now is Christ and his Holy Spirit. And we should be living this out. And this is just not a phrase that he says that you're children of God. He says, this is your condition. And you have my love in your heart. And through the Holy Spirit, you should be exhibiting this. If you claim to be of me, that the Holy Spirit lives in you and brings this out of you in your everyday life. 
See, because Jesus here is showing us God's sovereign love that born again us, that we are now changed inside by the Holy Spirit, and that we live that agape love in our own lives, and we live it out fully. And God designed us for that. Before the foundation of the world, he planned you to be that. And when we come to that, we realize when we're children of God, John is saying here, child, you have God's spirit now in you, the Holy Spirit. And you're being led by the Holy Spirit. You're being led by the same love in my heart for you towards others and towards me. And that you're children of the light of God's love. You're channels to God's love. And you let that flow from you. And that you know and you realize that as children of God. That has been bestowed upon you. You are heirs of great things that God has in store for you. That you will become heirs at your death. And even now, you're heirs of what he had. You already justified before. If you've given your life to Christ, you already declared righteous before the throne of God. That's what justification is. And that your hearts are open to God's love. And that because of God's love in your heart, it generates us to be different. And not only that, but we become heirs of God's glorious Riches in, in, in that he has throughout the heavens and on the earth. And John, and John wants us to understand this fully. That everything that is Christ is ours. And Paul writes this in Corinthians. He says, therefore, let us no man boast. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life and death or things present, things to come. And you are Christ and Christ is God. We inherit what Christ has inherited for us in the gospel. And it's all ours. There's nothing that can pull it away from us. And all that we think is matter is not going to be important at all. And everything that we find that God has given us in Christ is ours forever. And it's all the joy of the love of God in our hearts that comes that way. And you see, this just gives us such a freedom. A freedom to be not under the world's sinful curse. But when we experience God's love and we know that love of God, we no longer want to act the way the world does. But why we rather live in the freedom from the bondage of sin in our lives because we are loved. It's transformational. And that's the next point that John makes. He says, beloved, now you're children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We still have a lot of good things waiting for us. And, and, and some of it's going to happen here as we imbibe the love of Christ and the Holy Spirit works inside of us. And we know that what, when we, he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And what John is saying to us is, you don't have a clue what you have in him. Can you imagine what it's like? For Prince William and Kate to sit down little Prince George in, over there in London and say to him, 
George, no, you're talking to an eight-year-old. George, do you realize that you're going to be king someday? He probably thinks, huh, no big deal. But think about it. What is waiting for him he has no clue for? And yet he's got all these treasures waiting for him. And folks, it's the same thing for us. John is saying to us as children of God, we have no clue what's awaiting for us in this glorious future that God has for us. We have no idea, not even a, an inkling of what it's going to be like. You know, there's people who speculate about what's going to hold on heaven. We don't have a clue. And we can say a lot of different things, but really, we know we're going to be like him, the Bible says. And we know that we're going to have him. That Adam's sin is going to be restored. And we're going to be fully like Christ. No longer is Adam's way and sinful way. You know, we wanted, and, and that's what Satan hooked them. Satan hooked Satan. Satan got hooked when he believed that he could have the power of God. Adam and Eve got hooked when they had the, wanted the knowledge of God. And here it's going to all come to us. And that all that sin that has harmed us in this life, all the curse that has affected us, death and suffering, all that's going to be gone. And that we're going to be free with God in eternity. And, 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 and John's big thing is that we see him, that we recognize him, that we perceive what we've got. And that we accept it. And he says, now is the beginning time. We already are justified with Christ. And we already have good standing with him because we're born again. And the key is that we're going to be changed into his likeness. And the sense is that even with all the failures that we have, even the sins that we commit, we have this wonderful hope waiting for us. Because our Father knows we stumble and knows we fall and is going to forgive us and bring us into his home. What a wonderful thing. And what we know right now, we know that what he wants from us, right now we don't know. Have you ever thought about what's awaiting for you in heaven? Have you ever wondered what's going on? You know, some people think, well, yeah. Andrew is going to be fishing like he was on this earth. Is he? One pastor I, I was reading about, he said that when we die, we're all going to... Somebody asked him, you know, what, what about a baby who dies at death? What are they going to look like? And he said, well, everybody, when they die, is going to come back at 33 years of age because that's what Jesus died at. We don't know that. We don't know what we're going to be like, but we do know, the Bible says... We will like him. Sometimes children and even adults will ask, will my dog get to heaven? Well, you know, there's been people who speculate. One guy said, well, if you go to heaven, you get to heaven, just whistle and see if your dog comes running. Well, I don't know if I would be encouraged that at all. But there's some people who probably would like to do that. And there's so many other speculations. But the Bible says, that there's going to be an absence of sin. 
all the things that we've had between each other is going to be gone because nobody's going to sin anymore. And everybody's going to feel the love of God and we're going to love everybody that's up there. And that it, there's going to be a place where we're going to socialize because we know it's a city. And city is the harp, is the, is the melting pot of relationships. And that we know there are going to be saints there who already died. And we're going to meet family and friends that we know about. But as far as what the activity is, we don't know. Peter Marshall, who was a chaplain for the U.S. Senate many years ago, he put out this illustration. He said, you know what it's going to be like? He says, it's like a mother giving birth to a baby. He says, being in the world is like being in that womb where it's soft, it's comfortable, you're protected. And we love being in this world, and it's wonderful. And the baby floats around and kicks and punches and does all those kinds of things as it's developing. And that then when the baby comes full of term, that all of a sudden when she gives birth, that baby is woken up and there's people with masks standing there, holding them by legs and smacks them on the backside and doesn't hear that voice that was so comfortable when it was in the womb and doesn't know anybody, feels alienated. But then when the doctor cleans them up and puts them on the chest of the mother and lays them on the mom and he hears that voice, that baby's at peace again because it knows that it's in a different place, but it has that comforting voice that was been with them for nine months. And you see, that's what it's going to be like, that we're going to be at peace because we know Jesus. And it's going to be a new environment, something we've never experienced before. But like Mary at the tomb when she was crying and thought the gardener was stolen the body, and when she finally says, ask him where the body is, Jesus says to her, Mary. And when he hears, she hears that voice, she knows that voice like a baby would know the mother. And immediately, a peace comes over her. And she says, Rabboni. And that's what it's going to be like for us. We're going to be in this whole new surrounding that's different. But that Jesus is going to be with us. And that his voice will guide us and protect us. And you see, what we do know, John states, is number one that Christ will come. That's not an if. It's not a but. The only thing is, is when. And that we have no doubt that it is Jesus. And that we will see him, the Bible says, as he is. Not as the speaking around and telling parables that we see him in the Gospels. We're going to see him in heaven as the risen, exalted victorious Lamb of God who loves us and we're going to experience this love that surpasses all of our understanding and that Christians who lose hope and I've seen people who lose hope that if they continue to remind themselves of this love that God has for us not only in this earth but in the one to come 
our eyes of faith will be lifted up. And that the Bible says that we'll see him face to face with Christ. And the question is, what will we be? And that's where John then takes us to a third thing. Not only are we transformed by the love of God, and we will be revealed, and we'll be just like Christ in the end. In the meantime, everybody who has this hope, us Christians, we are going to be purified in him, sanctified in him, just as he is pure. As we love Christ and we see the love of God and we love him, we begin to melt in our hearts and we begin to grow deeper in his love and become more secure and at peace in this life the more we study him and give ourselves to him. That's why John talked about abiding in him. And that even though the storms of life will come, and they're going to be tough ones. But if we're in the vine that Jesus talks about, and we're attached to the vine that gives us our strength, our nourishment, our food to continue on, even though we may be flopping around in the wind pretty bad, we are connected to the vine. And we have peace in our souls. In those times that we're getting wrecked around, those are the times that we really got to cling to him. And that purifies us and makes us whole if we stay connected to that love and hold on to it. And that even like I was reading an illustration of how there are doves and pigeons who land on lines that are full of volts of electricity. And it's high power. But as long as they don't touch anything else, they don't get shocked. But once they touch something else outside of that realm, they get fried. Because they got the ground and it was completed and it kills them. And John says to us, stay in the power of God's great love in your heart. And you will see the changes in your life and the transformations and the peace that you will have if you stay in that love. Because when we have that love in our hearts, we become very different. As we expand it, and see what God has done for us. And we appreciate it. We want to live for him. We don't want to go off on these tangents. That could easily take us down. I was reading a wonderful story. That reminds me of this. Now, some people struggle with problems. With addictions or other things. That they just can't seem to stop. Or they're tempted in certain areas. And I read this beautiful illustration of a bunch of kids that went out for prom. And when they went out for prom, one of the kids, as they were at the prom, said, this is boring. Let's go to some place that's really exciting. And so one of the kids suggested they go to a strip club. And they had a friend that could let them in the back door. And they could go watch it. 
And one of the girls said, look, drop me off at home. I don't want to go part be part of this. And another friend said, come on. What are you afraid? Your father's going to find out and he's going to put a whooping on you that you're going to get yourself in trouble and get hurt? She said, no. She said, what will happen is it will bother me if he finds out and that I disappoint him. And it would hurt him to know that I did this behind his back. See, that's what love does when we truly follow Christ. We no longer feel that we're afraid to getting zapped by God, but that we don't want to disappoint him because of this love which he gave to forgive us and give us eternal life. We don't want to disappoint him anymore. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for your love for us. Lord, we don't even have a inkling of a clue how beautiful your love is toward us. And I pray, Lord, I confess myself that sometimes I take it for granted. And Lord, I need to know you more. I need to know your love more so that your love will overcome my temptations and my fears and that I'm not afraid because I have your love behind me your forgiveness, your strength. I pray, Lord, that we can have those kinds of hearts so that we can turn away from the world's temptations because we know we're loved and we don't want to disappoint that love. And it's through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Let's rise together and receive the benediction and sing our closing song. The God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, shine in your hearts with the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.